You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1229 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, coming to you on a Tuesday evening into Wednesday and by now you know the story if you are an Atlanta Hawks fan or someone listening to this podcast if you stumbled into it I'm sure you know this by now but the Atlanta Hawks season is now complete they go down by a 97-94 margin in Miami in game five lots of drama before the game lots of drama during the game comeback bids strong starts meltdowns for the Hawks late in the first half we'll go through all of it as we always do on the show but broadly speaking the Hawks were 2-0 coming into the night in elimination games, and they're now 2-1, and and you have to uh, win all of them to avoid that, especially with the Hawks having the uphill battle, having to win three games in a row. Not a surprise they were not able to win down in Miami, but certainly um, sort of baffling in a lot of ways. The offense was uh, kind of a mess the entire series. There was one hero on this night, and that was DeAndre Hunter, who was fantastic. We'll come back to that later on, but Trey Young struggled the entire way. That's definitely one of the bigger stories of the entire series, and really, uh, from a national standpoint, Trey's struggle is probably the biggest story outside of Atlanta even. But certainly uh, lots of negative stuff from this series, a lot of work to do for the Hawks moving forward. That Those questions will be asked and uh, you know discussed and answered at some point in the next couple of weeks and months. But for the most part, we'll focus on the game and uh, sort of the takeaways from this. If you're a new listener, what we do on the show after games is kind of go through all the particulars, pregame, during the game, takeaways, observations, etc. We'll do that on the show, and then I promise from there we'll pivot to the offseason at the end of the show. And also uh, moving forward, we do not go anywhere on this podcast when the season ends. In fact, we wrap it up all the way. Um, to the draft, free agency, trade stuff, uh, player reviews, all that kind of fun stuff on the, on the, on the show. We do not take any uh, really breaks on the show, so uh, please subscribe to the podcast on the platform of your choice. I guess you're first listening each, each and every day on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. Okay, we'll dive in now to the pregame fireworks, and there were actually a lot of pregame fireworks in this spot. Um, we already knew that Kyle Lowry was going to miss the game for Miami, but at about 345 Eastern, the Heat just announced kind of out of nowhere that Jimmy Butler was not going to play. Um, and he was not injured on the injury report at all coming into the day. I talked about this with Glenn Willis yesterday's podcast. We did all kinds of breakdowns with Glenn on the show, and it was a fun conversation. But uh, none of that assumed that Butler was even going to be questionable, much less not play. That was a huge bombshell. And Spolster said after the game, he was just kind of just sore. Sorry, before the game, I should say. He was kind of just sore, and uh, it was worse today. So, um, you know, he's day-to-day moving forward. But uh, certainly a, a sort of a big break toward the Hawks. Obviously, you never want to um, root for injuries if you're a Hawks fan, but certainly undeniably that, that made the game easier and the task easier for the Hawks on the road in Miami. Then, of course, a couple hours later, the Hawks had a little bit of that win taken out of their sales with Bogdanovich, who's also just questionable coming into the day, ended up being ruled out before tip-off. So the way that I put it up before the game was that, look, if you're the Hawks, uh, you will trade. Bogdanovich for Jimmy Butler and, the, and that, that those dual absences definitely hurt Miami more than Atlanta but certainly the Hawks could have used bogey in this game offensively um, especially if he had something going on on offense but um, so all that said uh, the Hawks were seven and a half one underdogs early in the day I bet online our friends over there and by tip-off it was four and a half that kind of tells you the story that Butler's a huge deal but the Hawks were still underdogs that was kind of surprising to some people that I talked to online uh, on Twitter etc before the game started people kind of act like the Hawks had this in the bag when Jimmy Butler was uh, was out and I kind of stress, like, look, the Hawks are still underdogs here. Um, I certainly made the task easier, but still, 
nothing given, and obviously they lost the game. So we'll go through what transpired here, probably a little bit, uh, a little bit of nuance along the way, as we always try to give you the context on the show. But they used the same starters going back to game four. They took a 7-2 lead out of the gate. Actually, Kevin Herter scored seven of the first nine points for the Hawks after he struggled throughout the series to that point. It was a nice dunk by, by John Collins early on. But then uh, Miami sort of recovered with a 12-2 run of their own. Victor Oladipo, who didn't play at all in the first three games of the series, despite being healthy, ended up starting in this game and leading Miami in scoring. Just kind of a weird night there. He started in place of Butler and uh, was a big factor for the Heat in this game. But the offense, you know, for the, other than the Herder explosion in the first few minutes, was really just kind of non-existent the entire way. They did play faster, which is something that McMillan was begging for in pregame and dating back to yesterday and the day before that um, in public. But they uh, playing faster did not always work for the Hawks in this game. Rotationally, it was the eight guys that you would expect. Uh, of course, they played nine guys in game four, um, basically those nine minus uh, Bogdanovich in this game. TLC played one sequence when they had to kind of just play defense at the, end, at the end of a quarter, but it was basically eight guys in this spot. Capella actually got injured, which we'll talk about later on in the game, at least re-aggravated re the injury later in the game. But uh, no huge surprises there rotationally for Atlanta in this game. Um, lots of fouls early on, kind of a kind of a slugfest. Uh, there was a great hustle play early with Collins and DeLon Wright on the glass. Um, and then moments later, Trey Young had his first two-point field goal since the game winner in game three. You know, famously, Trey did not have a single two-point field goal um, that he made in uh, in game four. In this game, he was, uh, again, very bad by his standards. That's kind of unavoidable to talk about, but Trey just didn't have anything going early, often, in the middle, anywhere in this game. Um, the Heat did go small a couple times to kind of make things difficult on the Hawks. They played Duncan Robinson at the four briefly in the first quarter, which was kind of an interesting wrinkle, but neither team scored a point per, either a point per possession in that first quarter. It was pretty ugly offense on all sides, bad shooting. The two, the two teams combined for one of 15 from three in the first quarter, but the Hawks did do well on the margins, which I've been saying the entire series, and I'm not to, I'm not to say that I was right, but just kind of the, one of those keys, like, the Hawks can overcome bad shooting if they win on the margins. In the first quarter, they led, and they had five offensive rebounds and no turnovers in the first quarter. That very much changed the rest of the way. Their ball security after that was dreadful, but when they were having success, they took care of the ball and kind of let that kind of let that buoy their offense a little bit. In the second quarter, though, um, Miami kind of couldn't score. They only scored nine points in ten minutes. Um, there was a technical foul on Kevin Herter, but Trey didn't sit for very long in the second quarter, which is definitely a change. Um, in a must-win scenario, you kind of have to be aggressive with your minutes, and that definitely was the case here from Trey and others. Um, they finally had some mojo with from three-point range when Gallinari and Hunter hit threes to go up by six mid-quarter in the second quarter. That was the largest lead of the entire game, um, and they used the stars late in the game. They actually Miami missed nine missed nine threes in a row at one point. They didn't make a three until like five minutes left in the first half, but the Hawks were up one late in the first half. And then if you want to sort of make this as plain as possible, this is probably overstating it a little bit, but if you want to say, look, this one stretch lost the Hawks the game, I won't argue with you because it was kind of emblematic of what the issues have been for this team some, at some times, kind of just some baffling decision-making, et cetera. But again, Hawks up one with three minutes to go in the first half. And in less than two minutes, Miami went on a 15-0 run. It was actually a 17-0 overall run because the Heat had scored previously, previous to that, but a 15-0 run in less than two minutes. Um, after a timeout, Hunter threw the ball away. It was probably his worst play of the entire game, just kind of a horrible pass for a layup uh, straight to uh, Miami. And then Herter turned it over right after that in the backcourt both times for easy buckets. Miami had a three. Another turnover by Hunter moments after that. It was his worst stretch of the entire game. He was really good in this game, but not, not in this stretch. Uh, Herter missed a good look, to be fair. But then Capella got called for a flagrant one against Bam Adebayo, who made both free throws. Another bucket for Miami, just a 
the ball rolling downhill. Basically, the Hawks went from a good position up one to being down by uh, as many as 14 and then down by 12 at the end of the first half. You know, like going into halftime, I was crucially and like kind of purposely pointing out like this game's not over, but it had the feeling after that stretch, like what is going on? Like they, they are going to lose this game, et cetera. To their credit, and we'll come back to this later on, they were pushing and they really did battle in this game. Uh, they didn't play well. That's a different thing. Battling and playing well are different things, but they did play they, they did play with heart and play with some grit in this game to kind of keep things interesting and come all the way back. But that stretch really, really hurt them. And they went into halftime down by 12. Um, offensively, it was a catastrophe really the entire game. They had a 91 offensive rating in the first half. They shot, they shot very poorly. Um, they turned the ball over eight times in the second quarter. That's terrible for a half for the Hawks, much less a quarter. Um, eight assists. Trey had five points. Uh, Hunter was the only guy who had anything going in the first half. And even then, Hunter had most of his damage happened in the second half. He was still okay in the first half. He actually had 11 points on 11 shots before halftime. He was much better after the half. But uh, basically, I would say no one played well on offense, and that probably included Hunter in the first half, um, other than that one stretch from Kevin Herter at the very, very beginning of the game. Defensively, they were pretty uh, pretty stingy, and with Butler out, um, you know, keeping the, the heat down for three-point range was probably pretty big, but that wasn't quite enough to uh, take the lead. And again, going in down 12, you dig yourself a hole against a good team on the road. It's just kind of tough, difficult to come back from that. Again, credit to the Hawks. They did, they did come back. They were battling the entire way, but uh, that damage was significant, and we cannot ignore that at this point in time. Okay, before we get to the second half of this game, some more takeaways, observations, analysis, etc. A word from our sponsors on today's podcast. Today's show is brought to you by Shady Rays, which is an independent sunglasses company that gives you features of $200 sunglasses for a fraction of the price. That means, of course, polarized lenses, well-constructed frames. They're also durable and premium high-end finishes from Shady Rays. And on top of that, the protection program they have is something you just can't find anywhere else. Shady Rays will include lost and broken protection on every single pair, and they will send you a brand new pair if you lose them no matter what happened. Give them a try today. If you don't love it, they want to pay anything at all. It's as simple as that. Plus, when you buy with Shady Rays, 10 meals are donated to 500 in America when you shop with Shady Rays. Exclusive for our listeners as well. You can have an offer for you at ShadyRays.com. If you use the promo code LOCKEDON, 50% off two more pairs of polarized sunglasses. That's promo code LOCKEDON for the best deal of the entire season from Shady Rays. That's 50% off two or more pairs of Shady Rays sunglasses backed by over 150,000 verified five-star reviews. All of that comes in one spot. If you go to ShadyRays.com, check it all out today. Use promo code LOCKEDON at ShadyRays.com. All right, the second half, obviously a little bit better for the Hawks than the first overall, but uh, an 8-0 run right away by Atlanta. And that was what made things interesting right away. I thought that it was a pretty crucial stretch coming out of the halftime break because what you don't want to do is go down by 17, 18, 20 points because then the temptation is to let go of the rope at the end of the season is probably going to be there for you, especially with the energy level that was in the building for Miami. But the Hawks scored the first eight points. That erased a lot of the damage from the first half, which is positive. Um, but then the Hawks didn't score after that for a long time. They actually had one point in about four minutes, and it was a free throw that was a technical foul free throw. And that, by the way, came on a bizarre play. Not to go crazy on this, but Markeith Morris, who did not play at all for Miami, was in uniform, didn't play, actually literally grabbed and held DeAndre Hunter like around his waist uh, while Hunter was in live action. Morris was on the bench. I don't know if I've ever seen that before. That was a that was a new one for me. It was a technical foul. People were asking why he wasn't ejected. I don't know the rule. It was very strange, um, but uh, Morris wasn't going to play anyway, so unless it was an extra free throw, it wouldn't really matter too much, but kind of a weird one. Let's just say there, but a free point for the Hawks at that point in time. But um, there was a big shot, I thought, from Oladipo midway through the third quarter where the Hawks were really kind of churning back into the game. And Oladipo, who took a pretty bad shot, actually, but made it like a pull-up 29-footer that he just buried. And the offense for the Hawks throughout the game was bad, but especially in the second quarter. So 
sorry, in the third quarter, they scored two points in about seven and a half minutes. One more time. They scored two points in seven and a half minutes. And after zero turnovers in the first quarter, which I made sure to note earlier, they had 15 turnovers in 21 minutes. That is uh, on pace to have like 35 to 40 in a full game. Like that's how bad that is. They didn't have that many the rest of the game, but 15 turnovers in 21 minutes is unbelievably bad ball security for any team, especially the Hawks. Again, number one in the league this year in ball security. The Hawks were actually pretty lucky, I thought, late in the third quarter, um, despite all the praise they already gave them for battling back. It could have gotten out of hand at the end of the third quarter. Miami missed two open threes in a row. One of them was Robinson, who just didn't happen in this game, but he's a good shooter who was wide open, just missed one. and missed a free throw as well, and the Hawks got a break late on a Hunter uh, foul call that actually got him to the line. Um, and then Gallo hit a three at the very end of the quarter. So after all of that and a pretty messy performance, the Hawks were only down by 11 at the end of the third quarter, and again, they were still in the game. It felt, like once again, like the Hawks were kind of out of it at that point, but Miami just kept missing threes. They were 2 of 11 from three in the third quarter, and uh, the Hawks did announce right then and there that Capella was going to be out for the game, and I guess now out for the season because the season's over, with that same right, right knee injury. I'm not sure if it was a full-on re-aggravation. We'll probably learn more about that exit interviews, but uh, same same knee, so I'm not hugely surprised by that. He came back quickly from that. Hopefully nothing uh, damaged um, as, as far as that is as, as concerned for Capella long-term, but um, all that said, they had to kind of play shorthanded in the fourth quarter. Uh, they actually sat Trey out late in the third quarter, which never happens. You know, generally, if you're a Hawks fan, you probably know this, but if you're dialed in every game, Trey has been playing almost every single game, the entire first and third quarter for a long time. And in this game, he came out with like four minutes to go in the third and then started the fourth quarter. Kind of just a weird tweak there. I'm not sure if it's because he didn't have anything as he was not playing well. They, tr- they tried that and ended up working. They had a 12-4 run early in the fourth quarter to get back within three. So after all of that, they're only down three with eight minutes to go. There was a great play by DeLon Wright to drive and kick for, to Hunter for a three, and then Hunter went nuclear as a jump shooter. Um, he had three, four, five jumpers in a row. Miami kind of inexplicably, and obviously this worked out well for the Hawks, kept going under on screens. And like Hunter is not really the guy that's going to beat you a ton off the dribble, and they just kept, they kept letting him shoot jumpers, like kind of walk-up jumpers. It was bizarre for a team that was so locked in defensively the entire rest of the series uh that was weird but uh, hunter took advantage of it to his credit and then a con went through one play so after all that miami did kind of come back a little bit with their own like kind of 5070 kind of kind of push mid-quarter to go up by 10 and the hawks were down 10 with five minutes to go rotationally it was interesting they went to they went to a Kongu for the most part in the fourth quarter at center which was i think defensible um you know collins obviously not the same guy he usually is physically and a Kongu played i think like 17 of the last 18 minutes something like that um they went to gallo for a while over herder which i didn't love but gallo always had something going on offense at times mismatch mismatch hunting and all that kind of stuff they went to herder late which i think was the right decision and I, they had to go, they had to go back to gallo when hunter fouled out which we'll come back to but um I think Gallo thought he was done for the night when that happened. Um, so he had to come in kind of uh, kind of cold, which was not great at that point in time. They ran a, f- a great fake DHO, like dribble handoff play, um, that Hunter got an easy dunk on. That was a great play call by Nate out of a timeout, actually. Um, but then they had a pretty bad sequence to kind of put the, uh, the heat back up by 10, where Trey got stripped by Max Struess one-on-one, which is a tough scene there for Trey. And then the Hawks fouled, and then Trey got a technical foul. So a really bad time to get Miami a free point, and that ended up kind of biting the Hawks because that's by three. It was a free point that they didn't have to give them late in the game. But then Hunter went crazy even more, scored six points in a three-point, three-possession span. Miami called timeout. And, uh, you know, the entire way, I'm not going to go I'm not gonna play, go play by play just, just, just now on this, but they targeted Trey on defense. They, tra- they targeted Gallo as well at times. But 
try getting started of the backboard on a three that was a really ugly shot. He did draw a foul in transition, made, made both free throws. But, um, you know, Hunter hit a couple threes in a row that were just huge shots. There was one that actually was close to being a three with about two minutes to go that would put the Hawks down by one. It was a two. It was accurately corrected to be a two. But, uh, again, that got the Hawks within two, like a minute and a half to go. They give, they give them a dunk, though, to go back down by four with a minute left. And they called timeout, and they got a pretty nice break when Old Depot kind of inexplicably fouled Trey right away in the bonus. But Trey missed a free throw, uh, so they were still down by only th- uh, three instead of two. And then the controversial call of the, of the evening was the DeAndre Hunter sixth foul call with 41 seconds to go. It was kind of off the ball, and P.J. Tucker sold it. He definitely flopped. Um, Nate was asked by Sarah Spencer at the AJC why, why he didn't challenge the play, which I think a lot of people were wondering, including myself. And he said that they thought about it. To uh, you know, he he definitely gave the uh, that they considered it, but basically he said that, they, that he thought that there were marginal contact on the play, and they were worried about losing the timeout because it was their last timeout, which is certainly a consideration that matters. I know that's sort of a punching bag kind of joke now with Hawks fans. I don't blame them for this because Nate kind of famously did not call timeouts in huge runs the last couple of games for the Hawks, kind of in weird bad fashion. But uh, you know, the argument against the challenge would have been that it didn't lead to free throws, so like you're calling a timeout only because Hunter fouled out. If, if Hunter doesn't foul out there, there's no way to challenge. No chance. And obviously they didn't do that either, but it wasn't a free throw situation. So they actually got to stop on the possession. So like the only, uh, huge question marks, sorry, quotation marks, obviously, but the only quote unquote loss was that Hunter, could, Hunter couldn't play anymore, which obviously was a huge loss. He was their best player in a lot of ways in this game. So that was a big one, but um, I don't think I don't think it was quite as bad as some do that he didn't challenge that play. I would have challenged it. I think it was high leverage enough given the way that Hunter was going, the way that Trey was not going, and just the momentum of the game. Um, I would have called it there, especially that late. Like, what are you saving it for? But obviously, the timeout is kind of the more uh, more than the challenge itself was the consideration from Nate. Um, anyway, they didn't challenge it. The I'm not sure they would have won it. I would have been interested to see if they would have won it or not. But alas, uh, the Hawks got the ball down three again. With 30 seconds to go, and that's when uh, it did not go well for the Hawks offensively. They had this very broken possession uh, at the end of the game where Gallinari ends up taking like a contested like 10-footer with eight seconds to go down by three. Just like, just like a horrible possession. Uh, yeah, I watched that play three four times after the, after the game before I started recording the podcast. There's just nothing going on there. Um, you know, Trey didn't have any juice in this game, obviously, which we'll come back to. But um, they got incredibly lucky, let's just say, the Hawks did to get another chance because really the heat had a chance at the rebound. They didn't get it. And then it was off of them. They challenged, they lost the challenge, but given the way how the way that way that possession went for the Hawks, they really should have been drawing dead there because usually that's a stop. You have to foul Miami and the game's over, but it went off of Miami. So the Hawks had one more chance with about five seconds to go. And uh, they had to burn a timeout trying to get the ball in bounds. That was tough. And then kind of the same thing happened. They ended up having to throw the ball to Gallinari in the corner. He was walled off. Even as big as Gallo was, there was just nowhere for him to go. And the Hawks didn't get a shot off. Like, that's really brutal. Um, you could certainly have qualms with the way that was uh, not drawn up particularly well. Miami, uh, being a veteran team, knows in that spot. If you watch the, if you watch the, the playback, there's a lot of uh, physicality, let's just say, off the ball. They knew that the refs do not want to call a foul there. So they were being very physical uh, off the ball against the Hawks there. But uh, to not get a shot off there is, uh, is very bad, let's just say. So at the end of that, that kind of went, went down with a whimper, despite the fact that they really did scratch and claw their way back in this game. They won the second half. Um, they held the heat to 43 points in the second half. They scored 30 points in the fourth on their own. So lots of positives in the second half, first half, not as much. But the Hawks did like play, you know, I keep, I keep, I keep using the word valiant. That's uh, kind of what I think. They, they, they played hard and they played uh, admirably 
um, as a team down the stretch. We'll, we'll talk about all of what transpired uh, as, as far as takeaways are concerned, but I'll just stop there and just point that out one more time. Like, look, a lot of teams, so especially a lot of eight seeds in that spot, might have rolled over and lost by 25. That that, that was uh, there were some vibes in the building at that point in time, but the Hawks did come all the way back, and uh, there is some something to be said for that. So uh, I'll just leave that there for now. I'll come back in a, in a moment with some more takeaways, observations, and some player stuff because there is lots of player specific stuff to talk about in this game. But first, a word from our sponsors on the podcast. Today's show is brought to you by Built Bar, and I made it a goal this year to eat actually much better and really eat right overall. And I'm having a lot of success with it because of Built Bar. In some ways, it's actually a lot easier for me to do that because I actually enjoy eating Built Bars. I've been telling you that for a long time. It's really the case. Protein-infused puff bars are fantastic. They have all of our fan favorites as well from Built Bar up and down the catalog of offerings. Each and every bar has 100% real chocolate. That makes a huge difference. They taste fantastic as well as the good texture that they have on the outside. And on top of that taste and texture, Built Bar is low-calorie and also high protein. You can easily replace your candy bars this year with Built Bars, both in taste and to improve your nutrition overall. Built.com has all the answers for you on the nutrition side. You won't believe what you see. Most Built Bars only have 4 grams of sugar, 4 net carbs, and 17 grams of protein with a very low calorie count. And Built Bar also has all kinds of flavors from coconut almond. It's sort of one of those longtime flavors. They have all kinds of new stuff coming all the time, and I've never had a bad Built Bar. All the flavors are fantastic. And you want to try as many as you possibly can. The best way to check out all of the stuff out at Built Bar is go to Built.com. Use promo code LOCK15 when you get there. If you do that, 15% off on your order with Built Bar. That's promo code LOCK15, 15% off at Built.com. All right, before the player stuff arrives, um, some broad team evaluations in this game. And uh, let's just say the offense was not good enough. The entire series, uh, both obviously in this game, but in the entire series, the Hawks had a 104 offensive rating in the series against Miami. For comparison's sake, a 104 offensive rating in the regular season would have been deadline. Sorry, would have been uh, 29th in the league. So that kind of tells you. Now, obviously, there is credit to be given to the Miami Heat, who are fantastic defensively. They're well coached. They switch. They have Bam. They have PJ Tucker, who is just a great playoff player, and you know he's very annoying for the opposition. But they have lots of. Uh, good traits defensively and a lot of credit to them. Millen gave them credit. So did Trey at times. And like they played great defensively. So that, that's worth pointing out. But the Hawks offensively were just not good enough. And it was really top to bottom. The scheme wasn't good enough. Trey wasn't good enough in particular. The supporting guys had moments. Obviously Hunter in this game was awesome, but, and Bogey had a couple of good games in this game, in the series as well, but overall not enough of that in the series. Didn't shoot the ball. Well, didn't take care of the ball, all that stuff. And it all happened kind of in this game as well. Um, in game five in particular, they got to the line a lot and made a lot of free throws. That was a huge key on the positive side. But um, the, that, let's just say the shooting was not good. 47% from two, 32% from three. That's very bad. Um, and here's the headliner for me. 19 turnovers and 15 assists. The Hawks usually average almost two to one in favor of assists. And they had more turnovers than assists in this game. And again, they had no turnovers in the first quarter. So they had 19 turnovers in the last three quarters. That is just uh, unbelievably bad, and I said it in the entire game. Almost almost every game in the series, I mentioned it either before the game or after the game or with a guest or something, that the Hawks had to win the ball security battle in the series, and they lost it almost every game, and they just cannot overcome that. Um, they did actually have more pass break points than the Heat did, which they thought was a, a point of emphasis coming in. Nate did, but I only had 28 points in the paint. That's a very low number. Like The worst teams in the league have like 39, 40 per game. They had 28 in this game. That's really rough. I will say defensively, the Hawks were pretty frisky in this game, especially when you factor in the Capella left the game early and wasn't himself. Um, it is easier to guard Miami without Butler. That is worth pointing out. But Miami didn't have a ton of great looks in this game. They, they missed some good ones for sure, like Robinson and Struess uh, missed some pretty open shots at times. But 
Miami only had 19 assists as well, and they didn't they didn't foul a lot. Um, you know, I will say that was one of the better defensive games in the series. It just didn't matter because the offense just couldn't do anything. So anyway, move on to the players now, and uh, I'll try not to be too negative at times here. We'll start with the bench first. Then there was a lot of positive, and really the entire series, the bench was awesome. Uh, Delon Wright. I know I'm sort of a meme myself now, but he was really good again in this game. Seven points, seven rebounds, three assists, um, plus nine and 31 minutes. He played great defense. Uh, he just made winning plays the entire series. And if they didn't have DeLon Wright, they would have they might have got swept and that uh, would have been even uglier. So uh, obviously there's a whole discussion about whether DeLon gets brought back. He's a free agent now as uh, I'm going I'm to try to put off some of the free agent stuff and all the offseason stuff for later on. But just to note that now. He's not under contract for next season, so that's a big decision the Hawks have to make because he was a huge part of their success late in the season, uh, but awesome in this game generally. Akongo was pretty good, I thought. Eight points, five rebounds, two steals, and an assist. He was the one guy who had any success at all against Bam in this spot. You know, Bam I thought was better than he had been the rest of the series, but Akongo played pretty well and was closing for a reason. Uh, Gallo was better in this game than he has been. I will, again, point out that defensively he was uh, a mess in the series, but offensively he gave them more in this game. He had 12 points on the 11 shots uh no rebounds though is tough but a lot of that went to hunter which is probably i guess a general positive but uh the bench again plus nine or better all three guys so there you go uh to the starters capella pretty quiet only played 19 minutes before the, before the injury two points eight rebounds a steal and a block credit to capella and collins in particular for coming back and playing when neither of those guys were anywhere close to 100 there is no way capella's playing tonight if he is, if this is a regular season game, no chance. There's no way Collins is playing the entire series of regular season games. Those guys played guttily. They were not themselves, very obviously. So that's tough. But uh, yeah, I thought Capella and Collins both like gave them what they could give them. They were not great by any means, either of them. But uh, they had to always gut it out and they gave it a shot. And, uh, you know, they had a better chance with those guys than if they had gone to Gorgie Jang or whoever behind them. So they give, they give it a chance, let's just say. Um Kevin Herter, I thought was decent in this game. He had the, he had a strong start. Only had, only had twelve points, but that was second most on the team behind Hunter. Uh, did have three assists, two steals, and a block. Three turnovers, a couple of bad ones uh, along the way, but hit two threes. I thought Herter was fine. Uh, he wasn't great, wasn't bad, just fine. We'll go uh, we'll go positive first with the Andre Hunter. I was debating that in my in my mind just now, but alas, Hunter was awesome. So if there is one positive from this evening, is that Hunter had the game of his career probably. Um, 35 points. Yes, 35 points. A playoff career high for DeAndre. 11 rebounds, three steals, two assists. He fell out, of course, but played 43 minutes and uh, he earned it. He was awesome. Played the entire way. He made jumpers. I think he was being guarded in kind of a favorable fashion in some at some points, but he was 8 of 14 on twos. That's really encouraging. It was like he was just bombing threes. He made a lot of threes too, but 10 of 11 at the free throw line. He was aggressive. He was attacking. I do have a little bit of, maybe not fear, but um, I think people that didn't watch the Hawks this season might think that this is normal for DeAndre Hunter. And that's not the case. I'm not going to pick on him now because it's, obviously he was great in this game. But um, broadly speaking, this was not a good year for DeAndre Hunter in general. And I think people don't necessarily watch every game of the regular season. And then especially nationally, people are probably going to overreact to this performance from Hunter. But it's definitely positive. Like he was awesome in this game. If he doesn't have it in this game, they lose by 25 points. There's no question about that. Nobody else outside of maybe Herter and Gallo were like just okay had anything on offense. And if Hunter doesn't shoot the lights out and play great, they just probably lose by a lopsided margin. So he was great. Even, even defensively in the series, I think he was pretty good for the most part. It wasn't like, uh, you know, game changing a lot of the way, like Jimmy got his, got his, uh, got his stuff on, on him throughout the series, but he was active in this game. And uh, one more time, 11 rebounds. The other Hunter, that's uh, impressive. Obviously he's uh, 
earned it this year to not rebound. Like I've criticized him and rightly so he had a ba- basically the same rebound rate as Trey, as Trey Young did this year, which is not what you want to see, but 11 in this game, he was flying around. So um, this might've been for all time, the, De- the DeAndre Hunter game had, had they won it. Uh, he, it, might, it might still be, he was really good in this game. So uh, we'll leave that there for now, but he was, uh, he was certainly the, the biggest bright spot by a wide margin in this one. And then Trey Young. So as I, you know, the way that I put this is a little bit that I, that I said after game four, was that Trey Young is going to be judged in a different category than everybody else, and that's the way it should be. Trey Young is the face of the franchise. He's a superstar. He's an All-NBA player this year in my mind. I think he's probably going to make it. We'll see. But um, he is judged in a different category, and uh, it's not only on him. I want to stress that. I said that on Twitter a lot, too, but I want to be very clear here. I'm not saying this series is on Trey. I don't believe that. But uh, his inability to do really much of anything in the series made the Hawks have no chance, basically. Um, the way that I put it after the game was like, look, if you told me that Trey Young did, did this in this series, there was basically no scenario where the Hawks would win the series. That, that's as simple as that. Now, you could say that he needs more help. That's probably true. Uh, you could say the Hawks could use a number two guy. Um, that's probably true as well. And it's, there's a discussion to be had about that. We've been having it for a couple of years now about what the, the sort of the ideal number two is for Trey. And I'm sure we'll have that, 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 that talk more in the next couple of weeks. But for now – just talking about this game and the series overall, Trey Young was just not good enough. Um, I would have liked to have seen him take a little bit more responsibility for that after the game as well. Um, that's, that's sort of a little thing that maybe I just noticed that because I'm covering it and watching the press conferences and stuff. But um, I don't think he was like, you know, owned it as much as he probably could have. Um, but 11 points in this game on, what is it, 16 shooting possessions? That's not good, obviously. Six assists, six turnovers. Did have eight rebounds, so he was at least flying around there, 41 minutes. But um, two of seven on twos, 0 of five on three. He got the line uh, nine times, uh, which is certainly good, but for the series, these are Trey Young's numbers for the series. 15.4 points per game, which is about half of what he averages. Obviously, he averaged like in the high 20s this year. He shot 22 of 69 from the floor. It's about 30-something percent, 31%. Um, 7 of 38 from three. And here's the one for me because, you know, sometimes you have bad shooting stretches. So, like, that can be explained away in some respect. But for the series, five games, 30 assists and 30 turnovers. Uh, you just can't have it. So I'm, I don't want to pile on too much. I'm not saying it was all on him again, but like Trey Young has to be better than he was in this game and and, and in the series overall. So uh, the, again, one more time, just so I'll just say it out loud, like he has to be better to have won the series. No question about that. Um, with the exception of the last four minutes in game three, he really didn't have much of any impact in terms of like overall. So when you factor in the defense, obviously like you could argue that he was a negative, he was in that negative in the series, which is crazy, but it really might be the case. So there'll be there'll be brighter days ahead for Trey Young. I don't worry about Trey Young. People are already asking me, like, what does it say about Trey Young? Was last year a fluke? No, like Trey Young is a superstar. I have full belief in that. I'm not a fanboy. I'm not gonna go out of my way to just say that if I don't believe it. Um, but Trey Young, you know, this year in my mind was a top 15 player in the league. He was an all NBA player in the league this year. Uh, but that can also be true, and so can the fact that he was terrible in the series. And he was, he was terrible. I mean, that, that's, there's no other way to put it. He had the one and granted he did help them win game three. He was probably, the, he was obviously the closer in that game, but for most of the five games, he was bad. And uh, that, that's just reality. It's not even me picking on him. That's just what happened. And we'll talk about that more often. Um, sorry, I should say more later on in the offseason, I'm sure. But, um, you know, nationally, I'm sure that'll get some attention. Locally, we'll see how that's handled. I'd actually be curious to see if he gets some heat locally, because usually um, this is not exactly a huge Hawks market for the most part. And uh, Trey's sort of in his own category of guys. Like, we all just know that Trey's awesome. And it's mostly other guys that get, that get asked questions and stuff like that. So we'll see if Trey gets some heat locally. But I do think that 
Uh, he knows deep down he's got to be better than this. We'll see what the adjustments are. McMillan has some interesting comments about him working off the ball um, after the game. But, you know, generally I don't make much of what's said post-game after the loss. Like it's more exit interview stuff. Once they talk about that, I'm sure it'll be later on this week. They'll have some extra interview, exit interview comments, et cetera, that we'll touch on in the podcast. But, um, yeah, that's it for t- that's it for that um, portion of the podcast. But, uh, you know, player-wise, basically the only guy you could – the only guy you would say the starters that played well in this game was Hunter – and uh, maybe you throw in DeLon Wright as a guy who was like above his head uh, normally in the series and uh, in, in this game. But generally speaking, a rough one at the office for the Hawks. And uh, that's it for the series. Uh, obviously, big picture, it is not a stunner to me that the Hawks lost the series. Obviously, you're a 1-8. Uh, you're an 8 seed for a reason. I do think that, and I still believe this now, the Hawks were a more dangerous 8 seed than most 8 seeds because they had Trey Young. They had more talent. But when you look at what the, what the series actually was, and the state that Collins and Capella were in and the way that Trey played, there's just no chance they're going to win the series with, the, with those three things in play. If, if you just tell me before the series starts that Capella misses three games, Collins plays, but is certainly way less than hundred percent. And Trey young does this, like you're just never winning series. Like honestly, the Hawks could have been swept and it would not have been a huge surprise. They they had to pull kind of a rabbit out of their head, rabbit out of their hat in game three to even win a game in the series. So uh, future facing wise, we'll have more, in terms of like what I think about this team and the team building aspects, but there are some real decisions to be made this offseason. I've said that a few times on the show recently, but if you're not an, an every an every show listener, my basic stance is like, look, with this early exit, it's not going to surprise me. In fact, I might project the Hawks to make a trade of some kind involving one of their core pieces. And they haven't really done that. You know, you could say they traded Cam Reddish, but he wanted out, obviously. Um, I, I think if I had to guess right now, the Hawks will make a move involving one of their key guys. Obviously, Trey is the only untouchable on the roster. I want to stress that Trey is the only untouchable on the roster. It would not stun me if anyone else got moved. Collins, Capella, Hunter, Herder, uh, Akongwu even. Like, I think he's not likely to be traded, but certainly could be. It uh, wouldn't stun me if it was a sort of a, a push and move. Bogdanovich, all those guys are available on some level. And then you factor in the luxury tax. One of the uh, questions I've been asking for a long time is whether Tony Ressler is willing and or, uh, you know, willing to pay the tax, let's just say, for next season. That's a broad question. Um, as soon as this game was over, Bobby Marks of ESPN does these uh, post-game, uh, sort, sort, sort of post-elimination series or uh, off-season previews, and uh, his headline was like, what is the willingness for the Hawks to pay the tax? And I, I, I've asked that question for a long time. I don't know the answer, but that is going to dictate a lot of things for the Hawks because if, we'll save this for later on. But basically, if Trey Young makes All-NBA, they are committed a lot of money. They do not have cap space. People always ask about who, who can they sign. It's not going to be signing anymore. They don't have cap space. They're going to have to make trades and make things on the margins. Maybe you can do, use an exception, but uh, no big splashes of free agent coming. So they're going to have to make some real decisions on some guys, um, what their direction is going to be, what, what Jalen Johnson's future is. Is he going to have a rotation role next year? All that stuff is going to be uh, asked and answered. They have a draft pick in the middle of the first round, number 16 overall. So that, that sort of added the coffers. But will that guy play next year? All those questions will be asked and uh, discussed in the coming days. But uh, that's it for me on this podcast. That's sort of a primer for the future. But one more time, I do not go anywhere in the offseason. I will be here. I will have at least one more podcast this week. I do have uh, have some travel over the weekend for a family uh, wedding, actually. So probably only one more show this week. But uh, we are going to have wall-to-wall coverage of the NBA draft. I do love the draft. And I've not done really much draft at all because the Hawks have been in the playoffs. But about two months away from the draft at this point in time, we'll have some free agency talk. We'll have some uh, trade talk and some big picture stuff, some player reviews, all that stuff. So if you are a new listener and enjoy what you heard today, uh, please, please, please subscribe to the podcast. If you are already listening to the show, thank you very much. And also please share it with your friends. I have uh, sincerely been humbled with all the support 
and uh, all the people that are downloading and subscribing and following on YouTube and following me on Twitter, all that stuff this season. It's been uh, quite a ride. I know it was kind of a maddening season for the Hawks in which they kind of fell below expectations. Um, that makes the job kind of difficult sometimes. I will be honest with you about that because of just the, the general malaise that it is. But uh, I want to say, again, sincerely, thank you to everyone who's listened, to who is engaged, to ask questions, all that stuff. And uh, I really do thank you for all of that. We'll have much more coming. But uh, thank you once again for all of the support. And uh, we'll see you later on in the week. We'll dive in. And the offseason is officially here beginning right now.